Welcome to the Friendship Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Binnick, and today we're gonna be talking about all things fitness, wellness, and mindset so that you can be the best version of yourself for everybody and your family and life that loves you and needs you. Yeah, all right, guys, what's going on? We are going to be diving into nutrition lifestyle part two. We are in health section two. And man, this is going to be a chock full episode, really covering, uh, kind of paired in with last week, what I consider to be the fundamentals, the base layer, number one, the most important things for us to lock down and get locked down and focus on. I promise you that everything in your life will align, will be better, will improve. You will see leaps and bounds of development in places where you have been stuck if you can dial in the stuff we're going to talk about today and add that into the stuff we talked about yesterday or last time. So let's dive into it. Uh, I get juice talking about this stuff. So if I start talking really fast, you know, don't slow me down to 0.5 times speed. Andy always says that makes me sound like I'm drunk, but if I get going on this one and you're listening to me on 1.5 times speed, you might need to bring me back to normal. So let's start diving into it right away. Let's start talking about how much are we going to eat? Last time we talked about eating highly nutritious foods. We talked about the quality. We talked about being true to our human selves and kind of where we can pick and pull from those nutrition sources and uh, really how to tap into sort of being our natural human self. So today we start thinking about, okay, what are some things that modern technology can help us with when it comes to food? And one of the biggest areas is tracking. And so this is something over, I would say, really the last probably 10 years. So it's funny is when I started doing coaching and nutrition coaching, we started running the gym. Uh, obviously, nutrition had to be a part of that. And we did it in a million different versions. But it's funny to see, you know, what was popular and what the what people were talking about and coming to us with from Instagram or what they were seeing online. And, you know, at, at the very beginning, when we first started opening, like apps weren't really dialed in yet. They weren't good, even online sources weren't very good and you were still like buying books and you were still reading the information mostly from books and now you know the the market is oversaturated with just apps and apps that do meal timing for you and apps that tell you how many macros you should eat based on you know what uh your plan is for the day and apps that kick you a specific meal plan even and all of those have a place everything in nutrition can have a place can have a time because the thing with nutrition guys is it is very very personal and the reason that it's personal And the reason what we're going to talk about today is when to eat and how much to eat. The reason that these are exceptionally personal is that everybody has a lot of different circumstances going on in their lives. A lot of people have different, you know, work and uh, work schedules, work distances. Some people go to work and the break room is filled with like, you know, nothing but sweets and sugar and cakes. And it always reminds me of that Seinfeld episode when Elaine starts to like lose her mind because every day she goes into work, they're celebrating something and there's a cake and it's like somebody's like goodbye day and then somebody's birthday. And then it's just like, and there's always sugar available and she starts to put on weight because of it. And she's getting upset by that. And that's always kind of what I think about when we think about some of the stories that nurses tell me and, you know, the nurses break room and some of the offices and things. And those work schedules, especially for long hours, people like nurses and firefighters and police officers and stuff that work these 24-hour shifts, 
that stuff can get really, really tempting because the body is telling you it needs these sources of fuel, of energy, of dopamine when we're pushing those deep, long days. So with that lifestyle stuff said, it's important to understand that I don't really write off anything, but I am going to speak mostly in generalities today. Now, that's not to say, like even last week we talked about veganism. There are certainly people where veganism can fit. It can fit from an ethical perspective. We can have that conversation and there's a place for it. I just don't personally think that it's a good health decision. So from a general speaking, if I'm giving you best, absolute best available health advice, I would not recommend veganism to you. Just like if I was giving you absolute 100% best health advice, I'm not going to recommend a lot of people intermittent fast, right? But it is very popular and it does fit into people. So we're going to talk about some of that stuff today. All right. So let's start talking mostly about how much to eat and kind of where we can go with this. Now, it's important as a disclaimer for this, guys, that how much you are eating, calorie counting and macro counting cannot, cannot, I'm going to repeat this like six times, it cannot replace highly nutritious foods, There was a movement a few years ago that was called If It Fits Your Macros, and there was a big push into this, like, you can eat whatever you want so long as it fits your macros. It's like, can I eat donuts? Yeah, if it fits your macros. And, you know, I'm always skeptical when I hear that stuff, but, you know, let's see what happens. Let's see how people respond to it. The proof is in the pudding, as they say. So I'm not going to completely write something off until I see some results, right? So I thought, okay, this seems crazy, right? We're eating a bunch of foods with no nutritious value or we're eating tons of foods with no nutritious value and we're just counting the calories on that. I don't think that that's going to work for people, but let's check. Oh, shocker, it doesn't, okay? It's not healthy. If we eat foods, what do we eat foods for? Well, we eat it for the nutrient content of the food. That is the only reason that you eat. Yes, it is pleasurable. It's a form of entertainment. It's all of these other things, but when you break it down to the base layer, at the end of the day, you eat it for the sustenance. You eat it for the things that metabolize and break down and what that gives your body. And when you start to look at food that way, when you start to look at it as it is a utilitarian tool, it is something that you're using only for the utility of it, you start to realize that it really shouldn't have a lot of control over your life and we shouldn't be leaning into things like if it fits your macros or macronutrient counting before we have started to look at the nutrient value of the foods that we are getting. So very important to understand that when we start talking about how much you're going to eat, I'm only talking about how much you're going to eat of healthy food. And there is a bunch of really good challenges and things out there that you can do that are going to help you eat the appropriate amount of fruits and vegetables every day. And what you will find is if you eat the appropriate amount of fruits and vegetables for the day, so let's say your macros as they break down or that you should eat 180 grams of carbohydrates per day. Well, if you go and you just create like a bowl or a serving dish of 180 grams from carbs of fruits and vegetables, And let's say you do the proper amount. Let's say you do 85% vegetables and 15% fruits. If you look at that plate, it's going to be like John Candy in the great outdoors when he gets uh, whatever the the gigantic steak is, the the old timer or whatever it's called. You're going to get that plate and be like, oh, God, that is so many vegetables. That's so much food. 
And where we skip past that a lot of times is on the good end, maybe we have like, you know, we have potatoes, we have rice, we have something that's much more potent from the carbohydrates perspective, not necessarily like bad, right? Those things, I'm not going to put them in a bad category because they do have some nutrient value and they do do some good things for us, especially around exercise, but they're not going to be as nutrient dense as, you know, your Brussels sprouts, your broccoli, your spinach, your asparagus, your peppers, all these different, you know, variety of uh, colors and, and uh, vegetable sources and all these different things. So if we take that, let's say we have, you know, a sweet potato with breakfast. Let's say we have some Ezekiel bread with lunch. Those are two staples in my diet. And I'll tell you kind of when and how I eat those and where they fit in. But let's say you have that. We're right there. I've sort of cut off 70 grams of carbohydrates. So that's, I'm taking away, you know, 35% of those grams of carbohydrates that I need to be eating in a day, just from these like two sources from these two meals. And that's pretty common, right? And I've already told you guys, I'm not a big vegetable guy. So eating the proper amount, eating the right amount of macros in fruits and vegetables, very, very tough, very challenging. However, I will tell you that, again, if we're speaking optimal, if you can do that, you will be excessively lean. You'll have, like, you'll look and feel and perform incredibly well. The only thing we would have to maybe think about is when you do really high-intensity exercise, getting you some more high glycemic carbs to make sure that your glycogen storage and all those things are replenished in time for your next intense exercise bout but that's getting a little bit specific on things. So that's kind of the main thing. If we're getting the right amount of macros from high quality foods, it typically is plenty of food for people and it's going to fill you up and it might even be challenging to eat that much. Okay. So that's the cool part about nutrient dense food is most of it is low glycemic in nature. It means it breaks down slower over time, which means we feel fuller over time, which means we have less cravings. We have less desire for dopamine. We don't go to the snack drawer after dinner. We don't, you know, when we're struggling in a 24 hour shift, we're not going to, you know, little Debbie snack cakes or whatever it is. That is the power of eating high nutrient dense, high quality nutrient foods. Okay. So it's very important for us to understand that those, those, you know, macro counting apps and some of those things, uh, that are going to give us benefits from dialing in some macronutrient numbers and calorie numbers for a day. I think that they're really only as good as they're supporting you eating healthy, high quality, high nutrient value foods as well. So that's sort of the idyllic view, right? We know the world is not you know, all sunshine and rainbows. It's not very idyllic. And as I just told you, like, I don't eat that way all the time. And so where for me, I don't struggle eating good, high quality sources of protein, getting a variety of sources of protein. I don't struggle with fats, getting a good, high quality source of fat, getting a variety of different fats, getting a variety in a mix of omega fatty acids. So those ones aren't that much of a struggle for me. And for you guys, that might be, it might be protein. It might be a variety of protein. You might only eat eggs. You might only eat chicken. And, you know, that's not great variety in terms of getting nutrient value out of your protein. And so whatever it is for you, right, you have to start thinking about, okay, I know I struggle with carbs. This is how I think about it. I know I struggle with carbs. So I need to know a carb number for me to hit. And I'm going to do my best to get the highest percentage of that possible from high nutrient value, good foods. 
And if we think like best, right, best is those vegetables I laid out a second ago, right? It's your Brussels sprouts, your broccolis, your asparaguses, your peppers, uh, your onions, your different colored, your chard root, some of these different things, right? That's that's your best. Well, your next step down from that, your better might be a variety of fruits. So you might be looking at some berries, maybe some, you know, pineapple and some strawberries and uh, some different things kind of in, in the fruit realm. That might be your next step down. And the next step down from there might be looking at, okay, we're looking at sweet potatoes, maybe like to keep the skin on, get a little bit more nutrients there. Uh, we look at a variety of different types of rice and maybe we look at a couple different color potatoes and then anything really that probably doesn't fall on that list right there, that kind of good, better, best list, we probably should not be looking at actually even planning into our nutrition. So no breads, you know, not a lot of wheats, um, you know, there's some argument to be made about around some things like oatmeals. Uh, but generally, if you stick to that general advice, you're going to do pretty well. And so for me, if I think about I like to think about, OK, I'm going to try at my absolute best to get 50 to 60 percent of my cal or my carb grams from those high quality nutrient sources. And if I'm doing that, I'm doing really well for me. That's really good for me. That's sustainable. That's something I can stick with. That's something I don't feel like I have to like grind down food I hate. I can do it every day. It fits into a plan. It works for me. The other 40%, I'm going to do my best to fall into that next category, which for me is rice potatoes and Ezekiel bread. And so that's kind of how I think about it. Now we start to think about, you might be saying like, Jeff, I don't even know what macros are. Well, what macros are or counting macros or those things is basically we're taking the calorie count for a day one step further and we're breaking down the percentages of where you're going to get those calories from. So the next step down, if we look at like, if you're thinking of like a whiteboard, right? The highest level is calories. The next breakdown from there is going to be protein, fat, and carbs. Those are your macronutrients. So where do protein, fat, and carbs, how does that break down to equal my calories for a day? And then you can even break down the protein, fat, and carbs a couple steps further and start thinking about like, what are the main nutrients? What are the vitamins? What are the minerals? What are the things that I'm actually kind of getting out of these foods and take it to the micronutrient level. And so that would be something like, hey, you know, I know that I am iron deficient. Something that most women are these days is iron deficient. And so we might be looking at sources of protein. We might be eating a little bit more liver. We might be looking at a couple other different sources, maybe even carbs and fats that offer that as an option uh, and start looking at that's a micronutrient. I know that I need to prioritize a little bit more. So that next step down, calories, now we look at macros, proteins, fats, and carbs. We start looking at the breakdown in percentages and how those are going to help us meet our goals. Now, traditionally, if I'm going to generalize, if I was helping somebody on a weight loss journey, I probably bring the carb levels down a little bit so that it is easier for me to hit those goals eating just fruits and vegetables. Right. If you think about what I just said before, if we don't want to necessarily be eating on a weight loss journey, we don't want to be eating a lot of rice. We don't want to be eating a lot of potatoes, but we do want to be still beginning our carbs. We still want to be getting our high quality, high nutrient fruits and vegetables. So I might take the carb numbers down a little bit and increase the protein number a little bit. And that's a pretty tried and true way for us to see a little bit of weight loss. And now same thing, as you start to build a little bit more insulin sensitivity and you start to improve your body composition, you start to get down to that, you know, 10, 12, 15% or less body fat percentage. Well, now we might start cranking the carbohydrates back up. 
And we might start thinking about that as being a big energy source for us. We start might start thinking about a little bit more intense exercise, giving us the fuel to push it just a little bit more and a little bit more frequently and the ability to recover in between workouts. We might take the entire calorie number, every, every macronutrient up a level. So as we start kind of thinking about how the macros go, you can play with the macros a little bit here and there to help meet your goals. And that really is where they are beneficial. You can kind of do that with the quality of food. Obviously, like we can be more lean, uh, you know, promote muscle gain and reduce body fat addition by having high quality of food. But we can't maybe tweak it as specifically as we can through macronutrients. And obviously, the absolute gold standard is doing both. Having perfect quality food and perfect dialed-in macronutrients. And that's where you can get really specific. The problem for a lot of people is when you do both of those, life is bland. It is very boring, right? It is very hard to hit your macros every day. And like that means you usually don't go out to eat. That means you're not sneaking in a beer or a cookie or a sandwich or anything like that. Uh, and that is not, in my opinion, a life that's worth leading, at least for very long. Like unless you're going for like gold medals or, uh, you know, you're really pushing for a specific goal that has sort of a timeline. And even then we also have to realize that like, okay, what is coming out of that look like? How do I maybe go 80% at this so that I can live a healthy life, but still be a healthy person? So what I think is the most missed macronutrient, we start thinking about how much we're going to be eating. I think protein is the number one that most people miss and most people do poorly. A couple different reasons. One, I think a lot of people stick to maybe one source of protein. I do think chicken is extremely popular. I would love to see much more people eat a larger variety of different types of protein. If you're not eating eggs, I think that you should really start trying to think about eating whole eggs. They are a full amino acid profile. They are a complete protein. The fat source is fantastic with them. There is usually not an extremely like healthy, incredible athlete that you meet, especially, you know, as you start looking at adults, kids may be a little bit different, but let's start thinking about like an adult, somebody who's in their thirties or forties, who's just like looks great and is, is really lean and it performs really well. They're strong, they're functional, they're mobile you're going to see that like eggs is a very common food for them to start their day with. That's not a mistake, right? Eggs are a fantastic, fantastic source of protein to start the day. And so I like to make sure I'm not a big intermittent fasting fan for a lot of people because a lot of times that means what they're saying when they say the intermittent fast is that they're skipping breakfast. And I think sometimes that works around as an excuse to skip breakfast. And for skipping breakfast, a lot of times that means we're maybe skipping eggs and I don't like people to skip their eggs. We're thinking about other good protein sources. We're looking at like natural game meat, right? So deer that is raised in Ohio and grazes around our backyards and, you know, is hunted and killed and then butchered relatively close to you in your house. That is going to be like a great source of wild, free range, fresh caught meat that you can eat. It's very highly nutritious for us. Obviously, beef in that same pattern is going to be even a little bit better, a little bit better, higher nutrient quality, but we have to make sure that they are eating high quality sources of food. Fish is a fantastic thing to add in. I'm not great with a lot of different types of fish, uh, but fish is an absolutely incredible source. If you guys are a fish lover, you guys should be thinking about how can I get more different types of fish into my life. And then there's a bunch of different ways that you can search, like what are the fish types that I should be eating in Ohio based off of how long it sits in storage, how fresh it was, how you know where it was caught, some of these different things. So you can get a little bit more nitpicky with the types of fish. And obviously there's 
you know, millions of different types of sea creatures and water creatures that we can be eating. Uh, so maybe pick two or three that have a really high nutrient value that you know you can get from a good high quality source and add that in. So we have to be thinking, guys, about what are the types of proteins that we're getting in. And that's kind of, again, we start thinking about quality first and then quantity second. If you guys are doing weightlifting, if you guys are probably coming to the gym, you are doing some degree of resistance training, even if you don't necessarily think you are. Like some people are like, well, I just do, you know, thrive. And we just like do pushups. We do body weight. That is still resistance training, right? If you're doing like 15 bars, that is still stressing and working those muscles and making sure that it has that little bit of breakdown. They still need protein to help promote growth. And we want our protein working for us to promote the growth in the muscles because excess protein that is not metabolized to be used as muscle mass building and recovery is going to be stored as fat. And so this is where protein is sort of an important one for people to track because if we under eat on it, we're going to be catabolic more often, which means we're not going to be building muscle. And we are going to be storing fat. We're not going to recover from exercise. We're not going to build muscle. And we're going to be storing fat. And if we overeat excessively on protein, we're going to have that same thing, right? We're not, we're going to have a lot of waste and a lot of that waste is going to be stored as fat also. So getting the protein number, in my opinion, dialed in and tracked in is going to be probably the most important one. And really for a lot of people, that's almost all they recommend they track. If you track your protein and you get that number dialed in and you eat not like an asshole from a carbohydrate perspective, right? Like your your carbs are actually somewhat thoughtful when you're looking at like where you're getting them from. You're like you're like 90% of the way there. And so really think about that stuff. Uh, and that's sort of my, my discussions on how much to eat. Now, the next question that kind of goes hand in hand with that is when do we eat? You know, meal timing is another conversation that a lot of people have. And it's crazy to me when uh, intermittent fasting, you know, I first heard about it back in, I think, 2010 or 11. And it's really sad to me because there was this excellent, really comprehensive study that I used to send out to people. And I've tried to find it over and over and over again. And I simply cannot. And I wish I could because it was a really great read. And it broke down every different hours and types and different, um, you know, different styles. And it was a controlled study. And so it had really good numbers. And there is good science behind intermittent fasting working for people. Where I think it's interesting or where I think it maybe falls off from that is, again, sustainability. When we start thinking about it, what are we trading off for meal timing changes in our life? Now, some people I know naturally do that. And I'm kind of one of these people. I would not tell you that I intermittent fast. But if you were having like a doctor or somebody from the outside look at when I eat my meals, they would say, oh, he's an intermittent faster. Because a lot of times I won't eat breakfast until around like 11 typically. And then I'll usually eat my last meal sometime around 6 or 6.30. So in some you know world, that's a, what, 17.7 intermittent fast. It's just eating for me. I don't pay attention to it. I don't do it intentionally. Is there a state where I'm, you know, in ketosis or, you know, I have that little benefit from intermittent fasting? Sure, right? But I don't do it intentionally. What I think about with intermittent fasting is you have to start thinking about it. it must work for you, it must work for your family, and it must work for your lifestyle, and it has to work in different situations. And so what if all of a sudden your your boss needs you to start coming in at 7 and you got to start waking up at 5.30? Are you still not going to eat till 11? Like there's just no way. At that single change is going to adjust your lifestyle. And so in that way, then your whole world's going to be in this tailspin because you know your boss told you of this timing change. 
And so I like to make sure that it really fits in with the lifestyle and there's not going to be a foreseeable major change in your life and in that change in your life where it would affect your intermittent fasting uh, in the future. So some people have very reliable work schedules. You know, some people are very much able to control their meal timing really specifically to be the exact same every day. And that's great. And if you can do that and you want to start playing around and naturally you're sort of an intermittent fasting or you don't mind being completely fasted, you don't mind being hungry, you don't have cravings, you don't struggle with those things, that's fine. That's great. But then we're maybe talking about something different. We're not like seeking out intermittent fasting to, you know, achieve some weird goal that probably was actually something we were trying to skirt or hack because we weren't doing the things I talked about previously well. So we weren't eating high quality foods. We weren't paying attention to our macros. We weren't getting good quality nutrient sources you know, throughout the day and a, quali- a different type of quality for our protein sources, for our carb sources. We were eating sort of the same stuff that maybe wasn't perfect all the time. So now we start thinking, well, it's probably my meal timing that's wrong. It couldn't be what I'm eating. It could be how much I'm eating. It could be that I have like three IPAs on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and maybe sometimes on Sunday. And, you know, and then if there's like a special occasion and, oh, how many calories are in those IPAs? Oh, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like 300, 350 each. Oh, so it's a thousand calories four, four times a day. So you gain 4,000 calories every single week. So about two full days worth of eating just in the beers that you're having casually. Okay, yeah, no, that definitely couldn't be it. There's no way that that could be it. It's got to be the fact that you were eating breakfast at 7 a.m. and you and you were you should have been doing it at 11. Totally what it is. There's no way it could be anything different than that. So hopefully you guys see how ridiculous that can sound. So again, the fundamentals are the fundamentals. High quality foods and start once that is just dialed in you're good start worrying about how much protein you're eating and that you're getting your carbs from all clean high nutrient sources once the protein's dialed in then and only then i would start to say okay protein's dialed in every one of my sources is high quality i'm gonna start tracking carbs and fats too dialed in that's great now maybe i'm gonna start looking at meal timing but i would probably tell you by then guys you're probably achieving every goal you want from a nutrition perspective and we're probably getting a little bit nitpicky to your life now let's talk about a couple things where meal timing can help post-workout window Okay, and this is sort of a misunderstood piece, and I am going to nerd out on you here, and I'm sorry, I'm going to tell you now, if you haven't already realized, this is going to be a long episode. You probably already realized that when you pulled up the podcast app. Now, let's talk about what is often misunderstood, okay? Post-workout window, let's talk about a post-workout shake. So there's a couple things we are trying to achieve when we have a post-workout shake or from nutrition after exercise is probably a better way to put this. Now, when we exercise, what we are doing is we're causing a metabolic response in the body, which means basically certain chemical levels are rising, other chemical levels are dropping, other chemical levels are reaching sort of a homeostasis or a neutral level, okay? Now, when we do certain exercises in certain energy zones, that's going to make some of those levels go a little bit crazier than others. And so one that probably reigns true with you guys is when we do like sled pushes and or echo bike or like think about a combination workout of like 30 seconds max effort echo bike into 30 seconds max effort sled push for like 
six rounds, right? That is going to have a very high metabolic response. And what it's going to call on is it's going to call on all the sugars, all the all the energy sources, all the fast acting things that we have in our body. It's going to call on every one of those energy sources and it is going to suck it out of your body and it is going to make you use every ounce of it. So if you guys have ever done a sled push workout or an echo bike workout and you felt a little... Oof, a little off, a little lightheaded. Maybe you were a little pale in the face and, you know, you felt like you had to sit down a little bit and you were a little light hard, light, lightheaded and some of those things. When that happens, that's your body giving you that feedback response of, holy crap, like we just did a lot of work and sucked all of these nutrients out of your body and like you are depleted now. And so I'm giving you this big warning sign of like, hey, slow the hell down because we don't have anything left to suck out to give you for energy. And so like the next state beyond that is usually a bad state. And so your body usually does a great job of slowing you down before those things happen. Right. And like the biggest example of that doesn't really ever happen in the gym. But the biggest example of that is when your body is gets so depleted that you just pass out. Right. And your body is basically shutting down what they would consider to be, quote unquote, non-essential, you know, body parts like standing up or being awake. And it takes everything. It's going to use it only to support vital functions. And so that's sort of the extreme. But when we're a couple steps before that and we are just working through the depletion zone and those chemical levels are going crazy. What we need to do in our post-workout window then is start to replenish those. And that's why we would have something like a high glycemic drink, a banana, something sugary, something very fast acting from that carbohydrate perspective that's going to get in there and start to give us a fuel source as quickly as we possibly can metabolize it. So in this case, drinks are better typically than foods because we don't have that same mastication and metabolizing process. Things go faster into our bloodstream when we drink them. And so... That's what we're thinking about having something more carby, more high glycemic carby, more fruity, right? More sugary in that post-workout window where we have that type of a workout. Now, the other type of workout is something that is more muscularly fatiguing, right? So let's say instead we just did a big like wave squat day and we did a ton of volume of squats and a ton of volume of lunges and it was extremely hard. You're already sore. The workout just got done. Well, what we just did there is we're not necessarily calling on a lot of different energy sources there, right? We're not necessarily depleting those glycogen storages. What we are doing though is we are ripping the muscle fibers apart. Right, is we are having these micro tears, these little breakdowns of muscle tissue. And those things need to be kind of uh, the way I think about it. And it's, you know, not going to be perfect. I'm sure doctors would be like, what, what's he talking about? I like to think about as protein kind of comes in and is like, if you have like a hole in a mud hut and like the protein comes in is like a handful of mud and you just slap it right on the hole and you just kind of rub it over. It just kind of fills the muscle back in a little bit and acts as a bonding agent to help it heal. And when it heals and the protein is in there, it's going to heal back just a little bit bigger and it's going to grow. And that's just the general very big generalization of sort of what's going on there. And so the goal then is when we rip those muscle fibers apart is to try to get some protein into the body that is fast acting, 
that allows us to metabolize that and get to the, get the nutrients, get the protein to those muscles quickly. So that's where your whey protein shake would come in. Now, where I see a lot of people go wrong sometimes is they maybe do a strength-based workout and they're having bananas after the workout, or maybe they do a fully, you know, really high metabolic, very challenging, short, you know, duration workout that's real sprinty and they've depleted their glycogen stores and they're just having protein. And it's not necessarily going to do nothing for you, but it's not necessarily going to maximize either. And so the the best protein shake or the best post-workout shake is going to be a workout-dependent concoction of some degree of carbs, maybe some degree of some amino acids, and then some proteins. And so if I was super high you know, energy and I really depleted myself, I'm going to crank the carbs up maybe 50, 60 grams of carbs. And you can do things like there's a bunch of different varieties, but let's say I'm going to have like two bananas in my post-workout shake smoothie. And then I might only have like a half a scoop of proteins, like 10 grams. That's perfect. And then vice versa. When I have a really hardcore, super heavy strength workout and I really crush my muscles and I know I'm going to be sore the next day, I might crank it up. I might do 30, 40 grams of protein. I might drop the carbs down to 10 or 15. And so that's sort of our post-workout window. We obviously want to get that in. You know, within the before the time, I would say you leave the gym would be ideal, right? Or in your car would be great. You know, I used to just pack a cooler in my car and just leave it in there. And then right when I would come out, that would sort of be my treat. You can make really good post-workout shakes that are very tasty. And that's kind of nice too, right? It gives you a little something to look forward to for doing a hard workout, a little treat yourself. (laughs) And that's a shout out for Charles. And then uh, once we get past that kind of post-workout window, about 90 minutes later is when we want to eat a really high quality, well-rounded, every nutrient is going to be hit. So proteins, fats, and carbs, well-rounded meal about 90 minutes later and really start to reset those zones. Now, the last thing I'm going to talk about with meal timing, guys, is what I like to call the great reset. And so this is when you were out and you just ate like an asshole. So let's say, you know, you were like just out at a bachelor party in Vegas or, you know, girls were out in Nashville and just partying and, you know, whatever their, whatever, you know, Nashville bachelorette parties. I feel like every time I go to Nashville, there's like a million bachelorette parties there. Um, and you just were out and like you were eating greasy food and it was pizza and it was lots of way too much beer, way too much alcohol. And like everything in your body, chemical wise, it, it's all just shitty. Like it's all shut down. You feel like absolute crap. Like everybody's uh, not everybody, but a lot of us have been there. Right. So let's say that's where you're at and you're kind of in that like either alcohol hangover or a food hangover, a sugar hangover, you just feel bad, right? You got you know, bubble guts and, and nothing's going your way. How do we reset that? How do we get back on track? And so there's a couple of different ways, but what I like to think about is kind of ties into that post-workout window that we were just talking about. Working out has this great mechanism of re kind of getting our body back into this homeostasis mode where our chemical levels sort of have to hit a reset button. Our metabolism sort of has to hit this reset button a little bit around working out. And so as much as it sucks, the best thing that you can possibly do is come in and get a workout in. If you're in a hotel in Vegas, like get a workout in. Now, the cool part about this is it doesn't have to be like Murph. It can literally be like 
You do a couple of supersets of dumbbell front squats, a couple of step back lunges. You walk on the treadmill for a little bit. You do have to get your heart rate up a little bit. You do have to have a little bit of a metabolic response. It can't be like insanely easy, but you have to get blood flow for around 15 to 25 minutes. So one of my go-tos that I really like to do is I set a treadmill just running at about six miles an hour, which is above a jog, but below a run and just keep it running grab two dumbbells light like 35s for me maybe 20s for a lot of you guys and we go front rack and i'm gonna do like 10 thrusters and then i'm gonna go farmer's carry i'm gonna do 10 step back lunges i do 10 push-ups and then i get on the treadmill for about a minute or really even honestly what i do is for the most part is i just run till i don't feel like being on the treadmill anymore and then i get off and i repeat and i just do that until a 25 minute clock hits that is sort of my great reset workout. It's a great workout. You can do it almost anywhere. You don't even necessarily need dumbbells. You can just kind of grab anything heavy and do those same kind of positions and go through squats and thrusters and go through step back lunges. Um, you hit every joint in the body doing that movement. And then afterwards, you jump into that post-workout window, right? So you're going to do a little bit of carbs or a little bit of fruit with a little bit of protein. And then 90 minutes later, you're going to have a big whopping meal. So you're going to have like your bacon, your eggs with avocado and, you know, maybe a fruit cup and maybe you get some spinach and some peppers in your omelet or in your eggs. If you do that, that is a meal timing kind of hack or a trick to get you in this reset mode where everything chemical wise is going to come back and get you a little bit more normal. It's hard. It's not easy, but that's a great thing where meal timing and getting things kind of dialed in on track can really help you feel quite a bit better in an instant or in a moment. And so I always try to tell people, if you can, if you feel like it, if you are out partying things on vacation, plan some workouts in, like get a, get a scheduled time, go to a gym, um, you know, find the hotel gym, grab a partner, just get out and move. You'll have a much better vacation. You'll enjoy yourself. You'll have more energy. You'll feel better. And, and that great reset really goes a long way. Now, I was going to dive into hydration and sleep this episode, but now that I'm wrapping up how much to eat, when to eat, and those things, uh, I'm at about the 40-minute mark, so I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to chop it here, guys. That will be part two of our health series. Next time, we will get into hydration and sleep, and my goodness, sleep, sleep, sleep. The longer I go, guys, the more I realize that sleep is the one of the biggest things that people in America specifically, and really probably all around the world, but people today are missing. That is like the missing link from people in losing that last 10 or 15 pounds, uh, helping cure that anxiety a little bit. And you know, now every study that is coming out is showing all of these chronic diseases are directly linked to a lack of sleep. So we'll talk more about that next time. Love you guys. Have a great week. I hope everybody is just crushing it. Weather is beautiful. No reason not to be out and enjoying yourself. Have a great week, guys.